Well, we may not have been invited to the European Super League, which already collapsed, but we're here to talk gibberish, aren't we, Dom? It was our year, man. We could have took that Super League. It was there for the taking. All we had to do was be AC Milan, Inter Milan, Barcelona, Liverpool, Chelsea, uh, like six other teams, and then maybe you could have been listening to the only podcast with a European football trophy hanging in the background. It would have been uh, pretty interesting, I think. No, I'm pretty sure we can just buy the trophy for like, 20 quid. They're not using it. I wonder if they made one. This is interesting. I, I don't know if everyone's aware of this, but uh, this was a football league that was designed to be a big kind of summer, uh, like, I guess like a summer blockbuster of football, where um, instead of just having the usual Champions League football, in which the winning teams of various uh, leagues from around Europe compete against each other, you would just have a natural list of 12 teams that helped found the league, and then like an extra, there was going to be another three that were to be announced, and then another five that would be rotated in from various leagues around Europe. But this would be a special uh, invite-only summer league that was going to take place, and it was announced that six of the teams would be coming from the uh, English leagues, and then the fan backlash was so harsh and so brutal and so non-stop for 48 hours, the league collapsed in on itself after all the English teams left. And uh, yeah, you love to see it, to be honest. Yeah, it was. It was the from what I seen on Twitter. It was the the initial. You know what? These teams aren't doing well in their own leagues. So let's make our own league. Wait, yeah. what do you mean people don't like that? <laughs> well, we're fucking doing it. <laughs> then... Oh shit! They don't like it. We won't do it. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was strange because they're all pretty decent teams. I'd say the the European teams were better than the uh, the English teams that were involved in all this, but. There was a lot of those English teams that have kind of drifted down in the last couple of years to that mid-card area, where they're not used to being. They're used to playing top-tier championship European football. And I think, at some point, some of the people behind the scenes realised, because we're losing out in this, because new teams have an influx of money that's uh, granted them the ability to buy top-tier players and just push themselves up the board by the sheer weight of their uh, their wallet, they were losing out on like, a continual income uh, over the years, and they realised if they didn't do something drastic, they were going to, in the long term, drift out of relevance in uh, English football. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they form a league, removing themselves from the Champions League, uh, being sanctioned by UEFA, FIFA, uh, their own like national leagues, in pretty much all like all of the nation states that were involved in all this, and being torn to shreds by their own fans. And uh, yeah, funny enough, when you're getting that much shit thrown at you, it doesn't last very long, does it? Yeah. It was the, the biggest backpedal, the biggest dropping of guns of all time. Yeah. Well, I say all time. Well, Over the, over the past five years. My, my brother, who is a much bigger fan of uh, soccer than I am, has described it as possibly one of the biggest periods of upset in English and UK football history. And uh, like almost to the point of the formation of the leagues themselves. Um, because before there were the leagues and the, the, all the official players and stuff like that, it was just people kicking stuff around in a park. And then, like, he says that it would have been the same type of seismic shift in terms of what football represents in the country. And that was that was the interesting part. Was it, it, I, I did a dumb joke about this, but you would have... Uh, we had the Prime Minister giving a COVID speech about the, like, the plan for the summer how things were growing, the vaccination rates. 
and every journalist that I could see did the same thing. First, Mr. Uh, Mr. Prime Minister, would you please comment on the availability of JAGs and the, the currently worsening situation in India before it became what it is now? And then also followed up with, but sir, what about the football? And I'm like, you can't put football and COVID on the same plane. But during a national briefing, that was how we were conducting ourselves. That's how fucked in our head we are about soccer. I think that's kind of emblematic of news as a whole right now. It's, you know, of course, top of the list is vaccines for individual countries mm. followed, you know, almost in the same distance by the worsening situation in India that we all wish uh, to get better. And then it's, you know, Superman might be black. <laughs> a man finds a five-inch thick hula hoop in his packet of hula hoops <laughs> and other useless shit like that. Man finds ten pounds and and trousers goes and gets Greg's. That's the kind of shit that's making the news right now. Yeah, and people wonder why we're turning away from normal media, normal news in droves. Uh, it's just the younger generation is sick of seeing headlines of you won't believe what you'll find in your couch. I'm like, yes, it's my fucking couch. I know exactly what I'm going to find in there, you fucking dicks. Stop making listicles. What? Listicles. It's lists and articles combined. It was uh, the glorious uh, invention of, well, Probably someone did it before them, but it's what made BuzzFeed kind of famous. And that worked out so well for them. It's good to know that there's a, a name for that kind of thing. Yeah. Listicles. I mean, normally I just call it trash, and uh, I just basically can't see it. But yeah, yeah, it was referred to as listicles at one point. I assumed that that was just a clickbait garbage. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's that's one term for it. That's the, that's the Scottish pronunciation of it. It's a weird, weird state of affairs, man. Absolutely weird state of affairs. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's been a wild ride. Um, you yourself have been off for the last couple of months. Um, yeah. Well, read it. Thanks to Jamie from Badger and Pals for uh, pitching in for a couple of episodes, helping us out. Greatly yeah. appreciated. Yeah, I'd just like to personally thank uh, Jamie and myself for uh, jumping in and filling in when I couldn't. Uh, now, I would like to thank Jamie for his very very well thought out uh, discussions and his very well made points. Now we're going to drop all that and we're going to get back to my dumb dick and fart joke. Uh, <laughs> uh, just, you know, major props to Jamie for filling in when I couldn't make it. It is greatly appreciated. But so, yeah, like Colin said, I uh, I took some time off to, to do some essay work and things like that. Longer than I thought I would because the hand-in date got pushed back or got uh, put forward so we could... Uh, uh, yeah, pushed back so we could uh, work harder on it. So... Eventually, got it submitted, all happy to do that. But what kept me going through it was uh, listening to quite a lot of podcasts, listening to, uh, like I said, Jamie and Colin doing the episodes of Jibberfish. But I, I started listening more to the Scrubs podcast, Big Doctor Show Friends. I'm now up to date on that. And, uh, you know, still still jealous. They've not been doing the podcast thing as long as we have, but they seem to be better at it, motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, Goddamn people with talent. We'll fucking show you yeah, some bitches. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 bring the podcasting level back down to our level. Stop <laughs> raising the bar, you pricks. You can't fight us down here. This is our home turf. <laughs> we you you think you're an ally of the podcast? <laughs> we were born in the podcast, molded by. It. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I don't think we really got Bane reference in there, but, uh, but yeah, uh, the. Listen to the Fake Doctor's Real Friends, and I started listening to some older podcasts that I used to listen to. But uh, been, there's been a lot more adverts for other podcasts. 
that have been cropping up more, especially through a fake Doctor Show friends, because they, Zach Braff and Donald Faison, they do their podcast through a radio and podcast group called iHeartRadio. And they will give a fucking podcast to anybody. Fucking anybody. Uh, there'll be podcasts that you want to hear about or want to listen to. The guys like Russell Russell Peters, the Indian-Canadian comedian, who, you know, they had to print money for at one point because he was doing so well. Uh, it's him talking to people in his back garden. It's kind of a, you know, no boundaries conversation type thing. That could be quite interesting to listen to. Uh, actress Minnie Driver, she, you know, does this thing where she asks five poignant questions to people in the famous media. There's true crime podcasts. There's a, lot, there's a lot of things that you'd want to watch or want to listen to. Then you'll hear an advert that I'm, I'm not going to do the accent because I'm pretty sure it, <laughs> it would we'd lose listeners. But it'll be stuff like Paris Hilton saying, hey, I'm Paris Hilton. Why don't you listen to my podcast where we get down to the nitty gritty. We talk about international news. First and foremost, international news. Paris Hilton finally lets us know what she thinks about fucking Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a worse combination than the phrase Paris Hilton news correspondent. I mean, if we were talking about the death of news before, can you imagine what she would do to that? Unless she's had in some weird, like, new, like, returning uh, redemption arc twist, she spent the last ten years studying non-stop on everything. <laughs> she's, like, up to date on, like, the Gaza Strip. She knows exactly, like, the cultural influences influencing both sides of, like, every debate. I can't see her being an interesting commentator to have on board. I mean, her, her catchphrase was just kind of like, yeah. Like, that kind of vague, yeah. dismissive, like, holding a dog, looking at her phone and pretending to listen to you and saying, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's always a little, there's always a little, uh, th the way they do the address is they'll have some guy who comes in and goes, are you ready for the truth? Coming at you this summer is Ball Bag Ball Bag and Ball Bag Ball Bag's in, talking about Ball Bags and Ball Bags the podcast. <laughs> then it'll be a phrase from the, a phrase from the, a clip from the podcast just going, hey guys, I jammed my ball bag in a door today. Let's talk about that. And this is coming soon to iHeartRadio. I, I, I want to make sure, like, if we if we ever find Bob Ag, the, the proper Bob Ag podcast, I know you've chosen Bob Ag as a random example. If there's an yeah. actual Bob Ag podcast, I want to see them in a full studio with, a, like, a massive 4K TV on the wall and they stop and go through frame by frame of what's happening to a guy's Bob Ag as it gets stuck in the door. I'd, wa I'd watch that for hours. I'd absolutely think, tune in for that podcast. I think a lot of people would, to be fair. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's shit like that. And then with, in the Paris Hilton one, it was, uh, you know, she says, like, join me as I, I talk to some of my friends about, you know, international news, things that affect me, health and well-being. And then it cuts to uh, the, the insert, the clip from the show, and she, it's just, my boyfriend spent $15,000 on a dog bag once. And I'm just like, is that how you want to fucking promote your podcast? Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, iHeartRadio, sort your shit out. If you told me that Paris Hilton had a redemption arc and was now some, like, wunderkind uh, political science major or whatever, I'd kind of tune in to see that, just out of morbid curiosity. But if, if your, your promotional piece is, like, weird shit she bought or weird shit or weird way she spends her money, uh, like, or her family spends her money, I would... Like, I can't... That's just the same thing from 10 years ago. But if you want to have a podcast where you say that she's going to bring you her unfiltered opinion on, like, current events. Give us, like, an example of that. <laughs> Holy just... shit, I, I just remembered, that's not even the best podcast that iHeartRadio do, right? Oh, uh, please. <laughs> oh, no. the way, uh, when I listen to uh, Fake Doctor Show Friends, it usually comes out on a Tuesday morning. So what I'll do 
so get up, uh, you know, throw on some clothes, and I'll go and take my dog for a walk. Right? Uh, I'll sit and listen to it for a bit there, and by the time I come back in, that's usually where they take a break in the show, and I'll start, you know, making myself breakfast and stuff like that. So I'll be sitting and making myself breakfast, and then the adverts will start showing up, and there's like usual crap that I don't care about, usual crap that I don't care about. Bill Clinton's podcast. What the fuck? <laughs> Okay, right. Bill Clinton must have one of the world's best like Rolodexes. Like he must be able to get in touch with some seriously interesting yeah. people to talk about. But at the and same that's time, the thing. it catches you off guard because Bill Clinton has always got has always had one of those fucking good speaking voices. So you're sitting listening. It's like, okay, Mini Driver's got a podcast. Oh, look, Russell Peters is coming back. Bill Clinton. Just, he's like, ah, Bill Clinton. John, me and my friends. The fuck? Bill Clinton, get away from that. <laughs> Go what to important things. What is the podcast, podcast called? What is the podcast called? I, I don't know. I can't remember. Oh, I, was I was really hoping that he'd named it uh, the Bill Clinton Gentleman's Club because there's a South Park joke about him and Bill Cosby forming a gentleman's club. <laughs> the podcast is called Why Am I Telling You This? Seriously? Yeah, the podcast is called... Because that was his catchphrase. Uh, the little, one of the little uh, intro pieces is every a clip of him saying, "Now, why am I telling you this?" in every single one of his speeches. Hmm. Okay. Interesting market. I mean, again, like he's one of those people that, like, he has charitable foundations. He's doing serious work. He's constantly trying to get his wife reelected. I don't know if he has time for a podcast, but I guess he does. Yeah. Yeah. How long do these uh, do his episodes last? Because I, I might actually check that out. That might be quite funny. I don't know why, but the idea uh, of Bill Clinton in a podcast is just hilarious to me. Some of the guests that he's had, uh, you know, the usual political heavyweights, Shonda Rhimes is in there, uh, Magic Johnson. I, I, I can't find a, I can't find a place that says the average episode length, but I can imagine when Bill Clinton gets going, <laughs> he gets going. He's having to swap out micro SD cards to keep you know the zoom going so he can record all this shit. Right, just so I can check to make sure I've got the right one here. Uh, the last episode I have is James Carville and Paul Belgala, recorded yep, May that's 6th. The one. Right, okay, we're going to be listening to uh, Why Am I Telling This with Bill Clinton, and we'll be back with some reviews next week. <laughs> uh, yeah. I like that my, my, my whole rant for iHeartRadio was just that everyone's getting a podcast right now, but I will. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess, like, if, when you look at, um, like, just look at what happened to the start of the, like, at the start of the pandemic, what happened to celebrities? They all went fucking mental because no one was paying them attention. They couldn't get onto film sets. A bunch of feral children. <laughs> a bunch of feral children singing Imagine into their iPhones and then saying, hey guys, we healed the world. And the response yeah. from the public was "fuck off," <laughs> and I think that if you give maybe you give people the chance to talk out their ideas, maybe you can see a bit more of like what's behind the the actor, the politician, the you know the the musician, and I think that's maybe where the idea is coming from. And it's maybe they've seen stuff like uh, like Joe Rogan stuff, the other comedians' podcasts, but those are naturally entertaining people. Like it, you can't help but laugh your entire way through an episode of Two Bears One Cave. Yeah, I mean I'm listening to a lot more of the the Honeydew. Uh, with Ryan Sickler, and it is fantastic. He just has these weird people on and says, "Hey, tell me about your life. Give me weird. Give me the bad stories from your childhood that make you into who you are." And he just has, has this great way of just teasing a story out of people. I mean, he had Steve O on, and uh, it just—I mean, Steve O has the best stories, but the worst voice for telling it in because it's, it's Steve O. Yeah. But now he's been sober, like his voice seems to have dried out even more. And uh, yeah, he just. 
he comes in with like these weird stories from his university days. And apparently Steve went to university. Not something I expected, but he tried to go to university and ended up spending most of the time jumping off of balconies. Which sounds more like the Steve yeah, Obino. Isn't I think I know what the story you're talking about. Wasn't the story of him jumping off a balcony? Didn't that end with him breaking not every bone in his body, but he gave it a good try to break every <laughs> bone in his body. Uh no, this is one that he doesn't really talk about more, but it's it's when he realized he had a fear of heights. <laughs> if he can see down and can see the height, he just does not want to be involved in it at all. Uh, like if he just if it's something that starts on the ground and then goes up and then comes back down, he seems to be okay with it. But he says if I'm standing up really high and then looking down, he freaks out. But this was him, uh, he would be on like the 13th floor, or the 12th floor, and climb down to the 11th floor. All on the outside of the building, on balconies. And he was like, yeah, it was really fucking stupid to me. I'm like, yeah, you're a fucking lunatic. <laughs> you were probably, like, Jack, anyway, Jackass seems to have kind of calmed him down. But having a producer say, you can't do that to yourself. We legally can't allow, you to happen, allow that to happen. Yeah, well, my favourite story of his was uh, during like a, a drinking session with his mates, he was so drunk, he climbed up onto the 13th floor of that same building and then climbed up the radio mast on top of it <laughs> and then was spotted by uh, like campus security and it's like, wait, you're, you're afraid of heights but when you get drunk you just overcome the fear of heights and climb even higher? What is wrong with you, Steve-O? <laughs> and anyway, that's why he's sober now. Yeah, I can imagine... I can imagine that would that would kick you into sobriety. Yeah, just just in general, some of the shit that the entire Jackass crew did, even without alcohol, I can only imagine what Steve would do when he was steaming. Yeah, I mean, I I actually rewatched uh, Jackass 3D because uh, most of them are up on Netflix. Because uh, I watched 3D and the 3.5, which is all the interviews about the filming of the movie, and just the, the shit that they're up to, and the stuff that gets cut. Although you see like 90 minutes of chaos, it's filmed over the course of like, a couple months. And then it is yeah. just the in-between sets and all these weird little pranks and stuff they pull on each other. I mean, it sounds fun, but I'd hate to do it myself. And I do like that they're they're going for a fourth one, which I think will be interesting based on the fact that they're all older. And they all know it. Yeah. Because there's that, there's that hint of it. Like, it's not really there that much in 3. But when they're doing interviews for 3.5, they're like... Yeah, this uh, that hurt more than I thought it was gonna. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can see them all getting a bit slower and a bit less risk taking, you know. Yeah, and I think with uh, with Jackass Four, the big the big elephant in the room, and that was Bam. But apparently, that's all sorted uh, sorted now because he's he's been diagnosed as manic bipolar, and they're getting help for him that way. So, uh, I think Bam probably will be back in the in the film when it, when it comes to comes to cinemas if it comes to cinemas. Yeah, there was a bit of drama about it, uh, for just for those of you not aware, that Bam Margera just basically said, I, I feel like I'm being kicked out of the movie, so I'm, I'm leaving and quitting and fuck these guys. And then, yeah, it was all kind of handled in-house uh, by the, the production crew and the, like, the Jackass family, which is it's not really much of a production, it's more of a family at this point. They've been doing these things for like two decades now. And uh, they just, they've managed to work it all out. And yeah, it seems like they, they didn't want to kick him out. He just kind of left and said he was kicked out in a weird way. So yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, 2022, I think, is this planned release date? Something like that, yeah. But yeah, I'd, I'd actually like to go see a Jackass movie in the cinemas. I don't think I've, I don't think I managed to see three in the cinemas. Hmm. Yeah, well, Jackass 3, if, I don't know when that came out. I don't think we might have been old enough to go into the cin- to go and see it. That's kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's how long ago it was. I'm going to need to Google that. 
Yeah. Do you want to give it a Google? Yeah, I'm, I'm just giving it. Uh, how old were we in 2010? Uh, we would have just been 19. Yeah, <sighs> why, why the fuck did we not why go and see Jackass 3D? Jackass 3D? <laughs> that would have been great. I mean, I, the 3D aspect of it is basically not in existence. But at the same time, I mean, we could have sat there and laughed our asses off. Yeah. The only real thing I can think of that was really 3D was a giant dildo flying at the screen. Yeah, yeah and then, is that not why they did shit like that? <laughs> yeah, there's a few things that they... Uh, the one thing I found interesting was that, that that was the first time they dealt with, like, a phantom camera. So they were hmm. just, like, they were looking at this thing that could film, like, thousands of frames a second and were just like, what do we do with this? <laughs> how do we... How do we fire dicks at the screen. Well, the first thing they did was uh, actually throw a tennis ball at wee man's nuts. <laughs> I'll just show you the ripple of that. <laughs> it's in the 3.5 movie, if you're interested at all. <laughs> uh, it's, it's such a... It's a weird thing that like I've noticed. that It doesn't matter how old guys get. That shit's always funny. Yeah. But <laughs> your balls, your pooping, farting, and just, like, vomit. I don't know why, but I always find vomit really funny. Maybe because I don't throw up when other people throw up. But whenever there's somebody just... Any kind of bodily fluids, basically, are tend to be quite funny, you guys. Someone's someone's pee is usually worth a laugh. <laughs> yeah, I remember there's the there's the poor camera guy who just he has the like the hair trigger, uh, gag reflex that just every time someone's in the room and just doing disgusting shit, he's almost throwing up on the camera, and it's just the funniest shit. And it just is it's one of those things where like one person starts and another person starts. I've never had that. Uh, <laughs> I know my brother has it. I know one of my brothers was sick, and the other one was like, "I'm gonna throw up too." <laughs> my dad's like, "You're not throwing up in this car." Fuck. <laughs> this is non-negotiable. Well, speaking of movies that make me want to throw up, I want to talk about Zombievers. Yeah, you, uh, you, you sent me a message, but it's just saying I'm gonna have to run about Zombievers, aren't I? <laughs> and I said, "Is it that yeah. bad?" Yeah, there was there was a scheduling conflict with uh, this episode was supposed to be recorded last week, but uh, we pushed it back, and uh, I was I was preparing to talk about Zombievers. Uh, this is a movie on Netflix. If you're interested in checking it out, or at least it is in the UK, and uh, this is a very frustrating movie for me because I couldn't when I watched it, I was genuinely just quite angry, and I couldn't figure out what was uh, like what the cause of it was, and I think it's because I couldn't figure out if it was a scary movie or if it was a funny movie because it was neither scary nor funny and it just annoyed the shit out of me <laughs> it's it seems like it's one of those movies based on you know the the scary movie franchises like the Wayne's brothers the stuff they do and it yeah it seems that way but i don't think i can recall a single joke that was written into the script uh, there's a few like movie references. There's one. There's a reference to Die Hard that's the closest it comes to a joke. Um, you have uh, oh, also noticed a couple references to I think it's The Birds uh, by Alfred Hitchcock, just based on like people boarding up windows, and uh, a nice little uh, dolly zoom shot uh, in reference to Jaws. But I honestly can't figure out what the purpose of the movie is. Um, so I mean, if uh, if you're gonna watch this. I take no responsibility because uh, unlike other stuff we'll be talking about later on, I don't recommend this film. Um, I just You just kind of have to force yourself to keep going and it is a great way of using Netflix's uh, 1.5 speed mode 
just to try and get it moving faster so you don't have to sit there for as long as it takes to watch the entire fucking movie. Uh, Bill Burr makes a cameo for some reason. Uh, Why not? He, I mean, I guess he's good to get acting gigs somehow. Yeah. Uh, he shows up uh, to do a bit of banter with John Mayer uh, just for, like, at the start and end of the movie. And, I mean, just... I, I think when I'm watching this movie, I'm just thinking of all the other better horror movies I've seen. Uh, rather than a zombie movie involving uh, radioactive beavers. So it's kind of a weird mix of a zombie movie and a creature-like horror movie, uh, and it doesn't quite do either one well enough that I, I enjoy it. And while I was watching it, I was just thinking of every other horror movie like this that I've seen, because it's the usual kind of cast of uh, like runaway, kind of slightly rebel rebellious teenagers that are uh, stuck in the middle of nowhere, forced to fight for survival against whatever it is, the, you know, the, the monster du jour of the week. And uh, I just, I realised when I'm watching these movies, what pisses me off is that there is never a decision maker in the cast of characters. Does that make sense? There's never anyone who's just in charge yeah. and saying, right, everybody's going to well, shut up and call me. There you go. It was the thing that was quite prevalent in early 2000s horror films, is just a group of kids all with their heads up their arse getting attacked by well take uh, what the name what's the name of the but a bunch of mutant hillbillies oh wrong hills have eyes the hills have eyes wrong turn series yeah there's, there's a few of them yeah there was no decision maker in any of those films and they all died yep the only time there was a decision maker it was Henry Rollins no one listened to him he all died yep that's what you get for not listening to Henry Rollins <laughs> yep I mean like half of horror movies could be solved by just one guy saying, look, I'm in charge, here's my next five instructions, we're just going to do these things, and we're going to leave and fuck this. And it's, I just, I was watching it going, this uh, this is starting to really grate on me. And it was probably the best example of this, is about half an hour, or maybe almost an hour uh, into the movie, one of the guys gets his foot bitten off by a zombiever while they're out on a lake. So they're out on this floating platform. A zombiever with one, like, chunk takes out an entire guy's foot and it is the usual kind of, uh, like, green screen sock and then we'll CGI in the blood and the, the gore that's the remainder of his leg. And uh, <laughs> they distract the zombievers because there's, like, three of them circling in the lake. One of them's trying to break through underneath the, the wooden platform because everything in this movie is made out of wood because zombievers. And... Uh, yeah. They decided to distract the zombievers by throwing one of the girl's dogs into the uh, into the lake, which, even as a dog lover, was fucking funny. I don't know what it was. There was something about just some guy saying, you know what, we're going to survive. Sorry about your dog. And throwing the dog in. The dog is fine. I'll, I'll, t- I'll say that. Uh, minor spoiler for a movie I don't want you to watch. And then, somehow, like the zombiever swims... They swim after the dog. This tiny dog paddles faster than the, the zombievers, but for some reason, the humans don't want to just get in and start swimming. Meanwhile, they're dragging their comrade with the, the one, like, missing foot with an open wound. They, they kind of vaguely tourniquet. I don't think I actually saw somebody, like, tie off a knot on it, but they do kind of cover his foot. They then jump into the lake, swim through pond water, and then run t- into the wood cabin, and just sit there from like roughly about three or four in the afternoon to like it going dark, wondering what they're gonna do. I'm like, get him to the fucking hospital. <laughs> You've been sitting there for six hours. Someone make a decision and this movie solves itself. 
and I, I just, I was so like annoyed by every character. I couldn't find one that I liked uh, that was wasn't just based on like, oh, it's that person from another thing. Like, they, they, there's a guy from like CSI Miami shows up as a local redneck who's gonna warn them all about being uh, like a bunch of teenagers and oh, you can't do this. You know, there's decent people around here. You can't go around in your your skimpy tops. It's like, bro. Let, let the ladies out in the skimpy tops, please. This is the one thing saving this movie. But, uh, yeah, he's... I mean, like, it's the one thing keeping people watching. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you've got, like, just nobody um, in charge of these scenarios. And just characters running around being frustrated at each other because no one's solving the problem. Like, someone just step up. Like, even in movies where you have, say, like, a, a sports... Like, a, just, like, there's normally, like, a quarterback or something, somebody in a football team in these American movies... And even he is just kind of like, I guess I'm going to play the big dumb jock so I can't be in charge. It's like, just just one person who understands leadership, please show up in a, in a horror movie. I guarantee you it gets real interesting real fast. But uh, I, I found on uh, a, a website called realdrinkinggames.com, uh, real is spelled R-E-E-L, if you're interested, uh, that you you have a drinking game for this movie. Um, and it, 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 to play the drinking game, we do have to drop a spoiler, again, a spoiler for a movie I don't want you to watch, uh, that if you are bitten by a zombiever, you become zombiefied. And yes, I do mean that turns you into a zombie, but you also get giant beaver teeth, as well as a beaver tail and zombie powers, i.e. only headshots kill you. Yes, that is how stupid this fucking movie is, and actually, there's another twist that I won't spoil, just so you see how dumb this movie is. I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> Rest assured of that. I am not watching this film. Okay, so earlier on, uh, they mentioned the fact that there's a bear in the woods. They make a zombiever, as in a zombie beaver bear. And I called it from about a fucking hour out. I was like, that bear is going to be a zombiever by the end of this movie. And it shows up at the end, try to flip a car, and I'm like, I fucking knew it! <laughs> I should have written it down. I should have just had my own drinking game. But uh, yeah, from uh, realdrinkinggames.com. Drink when someone dies or is zombieverified. Uh, a beaver breaks through something. A sexual innuendo or joke. That, by the way, will be the majority of the start of the film. Like the first half an hour, you will be shit canned. Uh, nudity. There's a decent amount of that. Jump into the lake. Uh, wireless signal or phone line is mentioned. Because they do actually do the thing of, oh, we're modern millennials. Oh no, we, we, we don't have phone lines. What are we going to do? We're out in the countryside. We don't know what to do. Someone find a redneck with a gun. Um, someone is attacked by a zombiever. Uh, or there is a gunshot. Finish the drink when a dog goes for a swim with the beavers. I thing I talked about earlier. Yep. And uh, finish the drink when Jen finds out who the girl in the photo is. So basically there's a photo of Jen's boyfriend cheating on her with someone Shite. else. <laughs> Uh, so it's one of those little typical melodramas that they also have to throw into these movies and uh, yeah I would just say like try and find something that isn't like whiskey to drink to this movie because you will be completely blackout drunk by like the first half hour which might be the best way to watch the film to be honest with a uh, coca-cola or something like that and you'll still be shit faced within <laughs> 10 minutes the sugar high all the way through <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah I mean there's it's it's a weird movie because I'm struggling to think of a way they could have fixed it. I think it's so fundamentally fucked that I just can't figure out where it's from, or where it's what it's trying to do, really. 
Uh, I think it's because it's maybe one of the first movies made by a guy who mostly did stand-up comedy filmings. Like, he would film people's, like, hour sets for Netflix and stuff. And uh, I just, I don't think he had a solid plan going in. Or he was just handed a shit script and was like, I guess I'll try and make it work. But the, uh, it's weird that they do, for the Zombievers themselves, there are some cool shots, uh, like when they're in a field, and you just have a shot of all the reflective, like, parts of their eyes. Uh, like staring at the the cast from out the dark, even though it's quite clearly like just hundreds of little dishes. Like it's not CGI in a sense, like they've used a practical effect, but you can tell it's not like a decent looking eye. It's just a tiny mirror that they've just stuck in the ground. And there was there's a lot of times when it starts off with the the beavers being like a, a puppet, which is funny. Uh, and then you have yeah. scenes where you have. Uh, them doing the puppet with a bit of CGI and there's a few scenes where the beavers are entirely CGI as well and I'm like, just pick one and you'll be fine. It doesn't matter which one, just pick one of those three options and you'll be fine. I mean, I referenced the, the birds earlier on. Uh, like for just, just because we have animals like attacking through a partially boarded up door and one of the best scenes that you get in the movie is... A bunch of the like people trying to fend off the zombievers, moving from like a full a full strength like swinging attack like to just try and hit the the zombiever, but then when they actually get into like close quarters with the the animals because it's clearly like guys handing us like a beaver puppet, they just like they're just kind of flailing at it so they don't hurt the guy's hand. <laughs> it's it's the most ridiculous like full like full swing lead up and then just kind of like tapping the zombiever. Uh, puppet on the head to try and fend it off and it, it happens with knives baseball bats a pool cue at one point and just i'm like could you please just like yeah somebody has to lose a hand some just just make it convincing once just make it convincing there's a pretty good practical uh piece of kit they have when they actually just cut one of those on beavers in half with a fire axe that's pretty cool but beyond that it's just so irredeemable as a movie and i'm trying to think of any, it must have just been like a test, just for the director to try out something new. I can't recommend it at all to anyone, even as somebody who watches a lot of garbage. This was uh, beyond the pale for me. Hmm. Yeah, I had a kind of similar experience with. Uh, I don't think we've spoken about it on the show. One uh, Division or uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We haven't spoken about those at all, have we? No, we haven't. No. No, I can recommend One Division. I'm not sure if I could recommend Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Interesting. There's uh, there's a couple of good fight scenes, uh, some really good story points in both, but just the villain in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, to me, was so boring. And we were meant to just kind of chalk a lot of what she does up to a MacGuffin in the show, right. which in Falcon and the Winter Soldier is super serum, super soldier serum. Uh, uh, the whole, the whole uh, point of the character is called uh, Carly Morgenthau and she is the the MCU representation of a comics character called the Flag Smasher. And the Flag Smasher was just your typical kind of, you know, you support the American flag, I want to break America, that kind of shit. He was just a big moustache twirling villain back in the comics. But in the, in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, she is the leader of a group called the Flag Smashers who uh, are rebelling against basically the government's trying to re-establish themselves after the blip or the the blip the disintegration thanos event whatever the hell they call it the giant salt and peppering 
<laughs> the great, everyone just becomes the great salt dusting. pepper. <laughs> the great dusting. Uh, because there were people that uh, people disappeared five years ago during the event. Their their homes, jobs, and things were repurposed by people that were still alive. Then those people came back, and they were treated kind of like second class citizens. They were put in camps. They were told that they were going to get handouts from a group with just such a lovely name. I think they were called the Global Repatriation Agency. Right. And uh, and it was literally just all about helping people that came back after the blip. And uh, so Morgenthau's whole thing is, you know, governments have only fucked us over. We unite the world. We destroy the, the Global Repatriation Agency. And we put everyone back on equal footing before the, as we were before the blip. We make the world better, that kind of thing. What they expect you to just kind of brush off is the fact that uh, she fights, uh, she fights Bucky, a super soldier serum enhanced individual with a adamant, not adamantium. I wish it was adamantium. Vibranium. Vibranium arm, and uh, she fights off the new Captain America, John Walker, again soldier with combat experience, and Sam Wilson, soldier combat experience enhanced technology on his back she fights off all three of them at one point like it's nothing are we supposed to, uh, that's what really ripped me out of it was there anything was about she, her being special or enhanced in no she way? has the super soldier serum and we we're just meant to be like oh clearly that's what's given her that's what's able uh, allowing her to go toe to toe with you know all these trained enhanced individuals like captain america had military training that's what backed up his you know he had combat skills and that's what he was a fighter he was a boxer in his spare soldier time serum. yeah yeah, but this, you know, extremist chick who's running a, you know, one world, one government, or one world, one people type organization, she's going, like, beating up Bucky like it's nothing. Bucky is probably the most skilled hand-to-hand combatant outside of, or the most skilled hand-to-hand combatant that's alive in the MCU. It would have been, you know, Natasha Romanoff, but we all know what happened to her in Endgame. Yeah. I mean, and then a... there's, there's, there's these... Because there's more than one flag smasher that has the soldier, the super soldier serum. I'm just going to start calling it the serum because there's too many S's. Uh, uh, I think there's about 10 of the flag smashers that all have been dosed with the serum, but it's a newer version of the serum based on Erskine from the original Captain America films formula. He made the first one and that enhanced every aspect of the body. You know, it gave Captain America, he went from the, the pencil tiny man that he was to, you know, Chris Evans. Uh, but the new version of the formula is kind of a bit more refined. It's not; it doesn't give you the you know, massive body or anything. It just dials everything else up to eleven, including it enhances any mental instabilities that you might have. So if you're you know bit put out by the government, you're going to want to destroy the government when you've got the super soldier serum because it enhances all your traits. And then, uh, in fact, I was going to, I was going to say something else, but that's a spoiler. And as much as as much as I wouldn't say I'd recommend it, I'd still, if people want to watch it, I'm not going to spoil it, but the the more it goes on, the more you kind of think, this villain is very, very shit, and we're just meant to go along with certain things. It starts off with she wants to bring the world together, then she wants to kill everybody that opposes her, then she wants to kill uh, Sam Wilson because he is the symbol of what she's fighting against, and no one opposes her. They're just going to go, yeah, sure. She's just... <laughs> She's one person, a teenager at one point, as they make it very clear in the show. She's just a teenager. See, I mean, you could do that fight they scene. They make her with, far too powerful. You could do that fight scene with uh, like her going against those three guys. If you kind of lean into the comedy of it, like she's doing it 
like she's fighting just fighting guys off but she's accidentally like putting them through a wall or something just because the serum oh. jacked her up that far but is she doing yeah, like is it's... it like a full martial arts like coordinated fight oh yeah she's doing she's doing backflips she's doing like spinning hurricane kicks she's uh, at one point the only time she really kind of goes mental and loses control there's a fight scene between her and Sam at the end where she's just wailing on Sam because Sam uh, before he becomes uh, Falcon and joins the Avengers and he rejoins the military and shit like that he was a grief counsellor he clearly sees that there's something quite not right with Carly hmm. so he just goes no I'm not going to fight her because that's just stupid she's got She's just with the soldier, the serum. I'm not. It's going to be a losing battle. So I'm going to try and talk to her through it. And she's just wailing on her. I'm going like, fight me, you scumbag. And Sam's just kind of taking all the punches. But before that, she fights. Uh, you've, you've seen the trailer and shit for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I have, yes. Right. So you know who John Walker is? The new Captain America? Yes. And it's a very yeah. interesting scene I wanted to ask you about. But go on. Yeah, we, we can get to it. I, uh, I assume he was just I, like, he wasn't quite at Super Soldier level yet. I'm assuming he was like, Navy SEAL, top tier special ops guy. They're like, you should be the face of Captain America now. He is. He is the the best of the best. He uh, there's a point they make in the first episode that uh, he is basically Captain America, but but without the serum. His tests were basically not quite as close to Captain America with the serum, but they were damn close to him. But way closer than a normal human should be. Way closer than a regular person's, yeah. And uh, the when using the shield, he just displayed the natural aptitude for it. So he was the natural candidate, and I think he was, uh, yeah, I think he was army or marines or something like that. But yeah, he was the best of the best, as you say. And uh, he actually ended up being one of my one of the better characters in the show because he actually I actually got him as kind of a villain. Like he doesn't really turn, he has a bit of a, a bad turn where he's trying to do good shit for bad reasons, but. Well, actually, I'll I talk about this just because it's in part of the trailer, and I think it's leading yeah. towards what you're going to talk about, is there is a scene that I've seen where he is beating someone with a shield. He is beating yeah. someone with the edge of Captain America's shield, and it's just a person. I'm pretty sure it's a refugee, one of the people that gets yeah. stuck up in the snap, which uh, is uh... one of the interpretations I saw from Wisecrack was about the show reflecting on how we treat refugees, that we look at the people stuck in the snap as being refugees, and then look at, say, something that's happened with Syria, with the Middle East, with the Arab Spring, and then uh, they actually drew it even further back to people fleeing Nazi Germany and saying, look, these people, the, the example they used was that if you fled Nazi Germany during that time, there was no EU. You were someone else's citizen, basically illegally in someone else's country because you didn't go through the border. You just ran from Nazi Germany. Yeah. So what, what are you allowed to do? What rights do you have? And I think that's when you talked about the like the way the, the people from the snap were being handled. It's the same idea of how do you handle someone who legally was dead for five years and then comes back out of nowhere, which is a weird legal grey area in a lot of places. Yeah, that's another massive part of the show. That, uh, the people that have come back for the blip who haven't been uh, reinserted into society or basically have come from maybe lesser off areas, at least, of areas that maybe have been a bit run down already, they basically get put into refugee camps and they are just run down dilapidated areas that, and they're constantly told, you know, we'll, the, the Repatriation Council will send you some, re, uh, send you some uh, supplies, they'll send you a care package, and they've basically been getting told this shit for about six months or something in the show. Yeah, it's like, well, you, you, the, the, we're going to take care of you, but you're also stuck in a bureaucracy with half, like, half of humanity's population. Like three, three and a half billion people are all stuck in the same bureaucracy that has to feed and clothe 
you know, three and a half billion people that's being run by probably about 100,000 people. It's just one of those things where, like, you can see this, like, a well-intentioned organisation just turn into just not quite being enough to save people. And it's when people really need saving and help. Yeah, but they're also the same group that when gifted uh, Cap Shield by Sam Wilson, because, it, of course, as you, as you can guess, a lot of the show is... Sam Wilson thinking, am I worthy of the shield? I know Cap gave it to me, but uh, I, I don't think, I'm not Captain America. I don't think I could make the choices that uh, Steve Rogers made. And of course, there's the heavy, heavy, sub, uh, heavy subplot of uh, can America accept a black Captain America? And uh, they introduce a brilliant character called uh, Isaiah Bradley, who was the original Captain, uh, black Captain America, as you find out, who literally went through damn near everything that Steve Rogers did, but because uh, he basically wanted to go public with his story, they threw him in jail for 30 years. I did see that mentioned in a clip where it's, they said, look, I wanted, to, I wanted to be the real Captain America, and the country turned its back on me, and I was like, well, what's that? That's yeah, not going to be they, good. They threw him in jail, they did experiments on him to figure out why the super soldier serum worked, and uh, eventually, to get back to any kind of a normal life, he had to declare himself dead. And uh, he actually, I was kind of, by the end of it, I wasn't really interested in, you know, Sam and, and Bucky's story anymore. It's like, tell me how, what that guy went through. I want to hear that. I want to share Isaiah Bradley's story. Yeah. And but I can uh, imagine Marvel, the way they're dishing out the TV shows, they'll probably give some kind of Isaiah Bradley spin-off or something like that. Yeah, and pretty bold of them to put a little reference to the Tuskegee experiments in there as well. Yeah. That's pretty fucking grim. It's a, it's a big, it's one of the big boy topics, really. I don't expect Marvel to really drop that in there. So I'm quite yeah. impressed by that. I mean, this, from what I've heard, is for all the, you know, all the Marvel stuff is basically just on this weird kind of fluffy uh, popcorn chewing level that you can't really sit and think about it too much. It's not really worth that much attention. But then every now and again, they drop in this little, like, real pieces of thought into the movies and into the, the series. But this is, from what I've heard, this is the most politically savvy version of a Mar Marvel uh, film since, like, or a Marvel property since, say, uh, what was it, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier? Yeah, the second Captain America film. Yeah. But even at that, as a, as a collection of six episodes, I feel like it could have at least been two episodes short. I feel like it did kind of drag on a bit. There was a lot of, uh, at the start, like the first episode's probably the most boring because there's a lot of setup and there's a lot of... Uh, Explaining where we Sam, are in the timeline and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, talking about, you know, Sam getting the shield and uh, how it feels not having Steve about and uh, how Bucky's been dealing with himself after the, after the loss of Steve Rogers because... Well, Steve Rogers is pretty much all Bucky had at one at, at this point. Yeah. So, and I mean, to, it sets up some stuff. It was okay from that standpoint, but at the same time, each episode was about forty minutes, half an hour, or forty minutes. There was a lot of just kind of sitting around and talking, which was, which was not great in my opinion. And uh, just the more it went on, I was like, this could have been shorter. You could have made at least one. You could have made one cohesive movie if you just cut out all the shit. Maybe, maybe given, uh, Morgan Thor a bit more to work with than what she had because she just ended up she ended up coming across as 
towards the end she ended up coming across as as this kind of like we're doing this because i say it's right and you're going to follow me and uh, the flag smashers uh creed their motto is one world one people and uh, there's one point where she's trying to inspire the troops and she just keeps saying one world one people and kind of just moving the hands like come on guys say it back and at that point i realized you kind of suck <laughs> i guess that maybe they're putting her up there as the the, uh, the opposite of captain america like captain america leads the charge that's what that's maybe the, the best moment of the first movie because i didn't like the first movie for captain america i didn't think it was that good but i think that's maybe the, the key iconic scene is cap is first one through the door he's the first one yeah. taking shots kicking ass and you know doing the job leading from the front whereas if you have someone who is not a person of action they are just a, a talking point they're like a, a figurehead in name only they can't inspire the same loyalty that cap does I think maybe they're trying to use that as a contrast to like what Sam is trying to be, living up to the memory of Steve Rogers. Yeah. Oh, shit, I didn't even talk about the best part of the show. The best part of the show is genuinely what they do with Baron Zemo. Because they take Baron Baron Zemo... Zemo, uh, You've seen uh, Civil War, right? Yes, but I'm a bit hazy. Can you fill me in? Baron Zemo is the Sokovian Machiavellian genius that uh, 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 instruments the... Uh, he kicks off the events that cause Cap and Iron Man to start warring. He he basically puts everything in Civil War in motion. He start, he activates uh, Bucky and sets him loose on the Is Baron the, the guy that's... He was one of the parts of Hydra, but he's now living in the computer? No, that's... Uh, Strucker? No, oh, that's not okay. Baron Strucker. Yeah, no, uh, the guy that the guy that you're talking about, he was the he was uh, Red Skull's toady in the first movie, and he basically gets digitized and becomes uh, like the the Hydra Jarvis essentially. Uh, no, Baron Zemo was basically uh, I think he was some kind of military expert in Sokovia, and then when uh, obviously the the events that led up to the Sokovia Accords were being drafted, where the Ultron dropped Sokovia. Back, back down to Earth and killed damn near everybody in the population. Yeah. Uh, Baron Zemo realised that you know the Avengers can't really operate. There's no sense in having a one group with no uh, jurisdiction uh, and no restrictions. Or no strict jurisdiction. They can go wherever they want. They have unlimited power. They can do whatever the hell they want and get away with it because somebody will be there to clean up the mess afterward. And he basically pits the Avengers against each other. Uh, obviously he gets caught by Captain America... I, I think he actually gets caught by Black Panther in, uh, the, in Civil War. He gets put in prison. Uh, then at the start of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, they, they kind of hit a roadblock in the investigation. They say, well, this has got something to do with Hydra. Who knows Hydra better than anybody? Baron Zemo. And they basically break Baron Zemo out of jail then realise that Baron Zemo, being this kind of ultra-smart villain, is about a quarter of his character. He's actually this ultra-rich Baron who basically bankrolls a certain part of the the uh, the journey for Sam and uh, Bucky, and just some of the shit that he comes away with is pretty funny. And he he can tell that he's working towards his own agenda because at certain points in the in the show there'll be Bucky, Sam, and Zemo will be going towards a certain point, and then Zemo will just fuck off, go into <laughs> his own thing, come back, and just go, "I have shit to do. <laughs> I have my evil plans to attend to. You have your good plans to attend to. We're just going to do this as we feel free, okay?" I like that. I like the idea of them having to work with a bad guy in the name of pursuing a greater good. Because again, it, it really does play into that idea of Captain America really has to be the leader of the moral, like the moral authority 
um, which is a good metaphor for America and it's in general. Like they, you can't be the shady guy. You can't be the guy in the grey. You have to be the good guy if you're going to be, you know, the leader. It's a good, uh, a good bit of character growth from Bucky as well because he he's the one who suggests working with a villain, hmm. and it was that villain that used his code words in Civil War to basically turn him into the the Winter Soldier, cause him to go and kill a couple of hundred people. So it was a nice little bit of character growth, like, even though. Oh wait, is he the guy but, uh, that was in that weird plastic cell? Yeah, that's oh, okay. that's Barnzimo. He knows he's the one that says all the Russian shit on and keeps hmm. asking for the mission report for I think. It's, December 16th, 1991. Yeah, the night uh, he killed Tony Stark's parents, yeah. Yeah, he uses that to pit Tony and Steve Rogers against each other. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, I do remember him now. Zemo gets time to shine in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, whereas he didn't really didn't really get much except, you know, I'm evil in <laughs> Civil War. I mean, at some point, you just need the guy to be evil. And it's good that, you know, I mean, maybe that's the benefit of doing this as a TV series as opposed to a movie, like... It doesn't have to wrap up in 90 minutes or 120 minutes. You can just spend a bit of time with the character in down moments and see who they really are. Yeah, I think that's what you've just said there. Like, experience a character in every aspect of their, their personality. And that does come across better in a TV show or a movie. And that is very evident in um, WandaVision because if you, Wanda, if, Wanda's probably one of the most... You know, troubled people in the MCU and that definitely comes across in WandaVision because uh, how it starts and you know the little breadcrumbs that you need to follow to figure out what exactly is happening with Wanda and you know how the fuck even Vision comes back and who the hell their nosy neighbour uh, Agnes is it's just ah, it's good I definitely recommend WandaVision over Falcon and the Winter Soldier well, I have access to a Disney Plus account, so I'll be watching both and I'll probably put those in the next episode. Come back yep. for a bit of a deeper dive. Yep. But uh, for this episode, one thing that we looked at or both watched uh, was Amazon Studios' hero animated, I guess, short series, uh, Invincible. Uh, and this is one that I, it came recommended by yourself and one of the guys at work who was like, you need to see this because you like gory animation, so you'll enjoy this. Um, and we're going to try and talk about this as much as we can but we're going to preface this with we will be spoiling episode 1 but we will not go any further with specific spoilers we're going to talk generally about the series and uh, we're not going to go into too much detail but uh, for just a brief overview we do kind of need to talk about episode 1 all the way through to explain stuff that's going on later in the show um, just if you're not interested in this we'll just give you time stamps to skip ahead uh, if you want to take your time uh, and open up the app, we'll talk slower, just to give you some more time, and we'll let you scroll down a little bit, find the time codes that I've put down there in the episode description, and you can just skip ahead. Yep. Did you do it? Just skip over this. It's too late. We're going to spoil it. Yep. It's too late now. He fucks his grandma. There you go. There's the fake spoiler. And then we can get into the real spoilers of Amazon's uh, eight-part series, uh, eight episodes of 40 minutes each, which I thought was an odd length of episode for an animation uh, for an animated series I mean yeah 40 minutes for a live action series is fairly standard but actually animating 40 minutes per episode seems like quite a stretch but it worked quite well I'd say as a general kind of format for a show yeah although I, I did like that uh, before the final episode even aired they said oh, season 2 and 3 is coming because there's just so many books that they can take from yeah, I mean, and I can imagine. I mean, everybody was talking about Invincible 
as the first few episodes dropped. So I can imagine they're quite keen to keep that going. Yeah, so Amazon basically drip-fed this one episode a week. And uh, yeah, as you said, there's plenty of back catalogue to go into. Uh, the mm. show is based on... Uh, it's uh, Robert Kirkland, the guy who made, uh, the guy who wrote the Walking Dead series. So he had another mm. series going on roughly the same time called uh, Invincible, which is a take on the superhero genre. Now, I, I'm going to call this an alternative take on superheroes because obviously it is not quite as uh, polished and clean as the Marvel, which I would say is kind of the, the standard of uh, superhero storytelling these days. And when we reviewed The Boys, which, by the way, is also on Amazon, which I find it interesting that they have to do all the alternative takes. Like, they couldn't just do a normal superhero thing. They have to do the alternative takes. I think they must be pissed at that. Like, they don't get to just have an easy superhero thing. They have to write it, like, few layers deep. But, I mean, it makes good television. I mean, we said that the uh, you could watch The Boys as someone who loved superheroes and someone who wants to see them kind of dragged through the mud a bit. I yep. can't say this about Invincible. I think Invincible, with the main character being uh, Mark, uh, who's like the son of the... Basically the son of Superman. Mm. He has a really optimistic view of heroes. And I don't think the show is that... It doesn't do that much to really betray that. I mean, you get some yeah. pretty impressive fight scenes and very gory and very messy fight scenes. But up until like the later episodes, you won't see anything that isn't just kind of stock and trade like superhero genre stuff yeah I'll, I'll agree with you on that one uh, I, it would be if you're watching the boys because you're you're tired of the superhero or you've got superhero fatigue and you're you're done with uh superheroes and you want to see them portrayed in more of a a cynical parodical light because the boys is a superhero parody for, for the most part it's taken from the view of someone who hates superheroes it's taken from the view of someone who wants to blow up and kill and murder superheroes. Yeah. Whereas it, Invincible is more of a traditional comic in that sense because you've got the hopeful, optimistic hero who uh, the writer of the book, is it Kirkland or Kirkman? Uh, Robert Kirkland. Robert Kirkland. Yeah. Uh, he himself even said, uh, well, he may be quote-unquote invincible, I always kind of wanted Mark's superhero or superpower to be the fact that he's, you know, very strong-willed and the fact that he kind of sees the good in everybody. So even when certain events unfold, he still sees the good in those people. He mm -hmm. uh, doesn't really want to kill anybody unless he has to, which there's a few points in the comics where he flat-out murders someone then just goes, oh, no, and I'm like, Dude, don't say that now. <laughs> His skull is on your knuckles. <laughs> Bro, at least mop up the pieces first. <laughs> At least fashion it back together in some kind of shape. Yeah, yeah. I, I think with him being, uh, or with Mark uh, Grayson being the son of Superman, and basically this is kind of like a coming of age story. Uh, it just gets interrupted like halfway through, and I'd say that there's there's too much optimism to say yeah this is this is a takedown. It does play around with a lot of the, the ideas because it gives you all those uh, the high mighty ideals of why someone would aspire to save the world, and then only to say. But it's going to cost you, and it's going to cost you in personal ways that mean you're basically going to have to pick and choose one. And a lot of the show is spent with Mark trying to decide does he want to be more human and spend time with family and friends, or does he want to be a superhero and save the world? Because he really just, he physically cannot commit to both due to mm -hmm. timing. And there's a yeah. lot of that, that kind of back and forth. And I, I like that part of it. 
it's what kept the uh, the high school scenes from being just that kind of usual kind of crappy high school melodrama that happens. Yeah, I like that. I like that the high school scenes didn't really play too prevalent a role in it. They were just kind of there. Yeah, it's to, another uh, location for the for the cast to be in. Yeah, it's mainly just kind of Mark dealing with the other side of it. Yeah, and it's it's there always like as a kind of a pressure to keep him. Uh, like he's never really relaxed in the show. I'd say he always has something to worry about. Like if it's not. Uh, something to do with a, a monster crashing through buildings in a, a part of America. It's you know it's something to do with, uh, you know oh that reports you, which I find quite interesting. Yeah. But I mean I I noticed this. Uh, it was a weird thing I noticed in a bunch of anime was that you will have these shows where the 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 hero is trying to keep his private superhero life uh, away from everyone else who doesn't understand what he's doing, or maybe who doesn't even know that he's doing it in the first place, mm. and you will have the main character fighting for his life and then they will smash cut back to his friends going, oh my God, Mark's going to miss the exam. And you're like, are you kidding me? He's He could probably get a, like a bit of a, a mulligan here to just say, I'm sorry, I was punching an asteroid out of the way of the planet. Fuck off. <laughs> and it's uh, I'd say this did a very good job in avoiding that weird cliche that I've noticed in a bunch of like different properties where uh, you just have a complete disconnect between the main character's story of, you know, learning to be a hero, and then you have, like, his other friends, and I think they did that very well, and uh, keeping the two groups separate for a long while, and then yeah. revealing that they've always kind of known, like, you know, everyone around him's not a fucking moron, so they, they've yeah. been aware of the fact that he is or he's living a double life, and it's not hard yeah. for them to put the two together, and just accept who he is towards yeah, the, the biggest. I mean, for me, the the biggest example of that was how the fuck does no one know that Nolan Grayson is Omni Man? Because <laughs> he's not even wearing he a mask. <laughs> he doesn't Clark Kent himself. He doesn't put on a pair of glasses. He doesn't try to obscure his appearance at any point. I'm pretty sure a few people have seen him. The mailman has seen him fly out of his house. How the hell does no one look at Omni Man and think, "Hey, that guy looks like uh, Nolan Grayson, that guy that writes all those tourism books." <laughs> the the Clark Kent. Wearing glasses to hide the fact he's Superman is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. It is every yeah. time I think about it, it gets me laughing. It is just some, so unreal. There's some convoluted reason as to why that works. <laughs> and it's all to do with the fact that, you know, Superman, I mean, in the original comics, the, the Golden Age, Silver Age books, he literally crushed his spine to make him two inches shorter. And but in the in the new books, they just kind of, he wears oversized clothes so he doesn't see his muscles and he kind of hunches. And you know, apparently the glasses just he never makes direct eye contact so no one can really see his face. So there's a whole bunch of dumb shit that I, explains it, but none of it makes sense to you, me. You can't really hide the fact that you just have a random journalist who's like a six foot four jacked linebacker who just kinda hangs yeah. out and types his little notes and gives his wee reports and then mysteriously disappears during his lunch breaks. And then comes back. Yeah, like, how do you get sweaty. so many good pictures of Superman? <laughs> I don't know, just a right place, right time, man. <laughs> <laughs> At least, at least Peter Parker had to struggle to pretend to not be Spider-Man. Like it's kind of, he can hide yeah. that a little bit, but Superman is yeah because he <laughs> hides his face. But he, can you imagine being Superman just going, going uh, the office manager just going, hey, uh, can I get uh, can I get another keyboard? What Kent? Why the fuck do you need another keyboard? Oh well, I was uh, you know writing out a really good story about Superman. And I broke my keyboard again. You know I don't know how this shit keeps happening. I'm gonna get some of those reinforced pens because you know I keep breaking my pens. I keep accidentally putting my finger through the space bar key. Yeah. <laughs> how does no one catch up? Anyway, we're getting distracted by Superman. 
because and I, I think that's pretty much appropriate Clark Kent what the fuck happened to the fridge store I don't know I don't know what happened to the fridge store I really wanted yogurt <laughs> I was hungry fuck you Janice. I, it's kind of appropriate that we get distracted by Superman because this uh, yep. is the story of the son of Superman or the son of I'd say I, I want to say slightly better Superman I mean we, we talked a bit about uh, how Superman is as strong as you need him to be I we talked about this before I don't think we've seen the limit of Omni-Man's power I think he might be on that tier of just I think he needs to be on that tier of damn near omniscient uh, all-powerful being that can just be yep. wherever he needs to be I mean maybe not quite omniscient but he's as powerful as he needs to be to overcome situations and it, he's a fantastic character I'll give him that I, I mean the good thing about Omni-Man is you can tell that uh, he there's, I mean there's obviously with Superman because again you can't really compare him with any other superhero even though you know Superman can literally I think they even ditched the whole solar energy thing where his, his skin you know needs solar energy to give him, give him his powers I'm pretty sure it's now just innate in him or that's how they justify it but <laughs> Like, Omni-Man just has these powers, he's born with these powers, so he's just, you'd probably be a bit more used to them. But the thing that I kind of liked about Omni-Man is that he never really comes across as a hero. He's just kind of, he saves people because he's there and it's something yeah. to do, but he has no real stake in the great, you know, in the mass living of humanity. It's just, okay, I'll do it, I'm here. Yeah. I think that one thing we talked about before the podcast is just how distant he is from people. He is... Uh, he is just completely, I don't know what he is, disdain for humanity, but he knows he is above everyone else. And he sits in judgment of others, which is interesting. Most heroes don't do that. Where um, mm. during later on scenes, we have Omni Man like insulting people for being drunks later on. And just like, not, not just like random people he meets, close personal friends. He will turn around and say, yeah. Oh, she's just a drunk. That person's just drunk. It doesn't matter. Who gives a shit? <laughs> and you're like, I would yeah. never expect to see like, Captain America, Superman, like you would never expect them to turn and go, oh please, they had three sherries before they they got out of bed this morning. Who gives a shit? Like you would never yeah. hear that from those heroes. But with Omni Man, he has a disconnect, and it is so. It's in little moments, and it's in the bigger moments where he is willing to be rational and almost mathematical when it comes to I can save five people or I can save twenty, and he will go with the twenty every time because he saves more people that way. And if five people have to die to save the twenty, so be it. Yeah, that's fine. It's almost kind of it's almost weirder seeing the people that Nolan respects as opposed to you know has a general disdain for. Because there's a very tense scene where he's just sitting drinking with someone, and you just tell at every stage of that conversation, you just you just think if you say one thing wrong, it's yeah. bam, you're gone. And yeah, there there's a lot of moments in this in this series where someone is basically stuck in a room with Omni-Man, and frankly, I'd rather be stuck in a room with a feral tiger that's just yeah. had its nuts twisted. It is terrifying to see him go through, like, just just seeing him interact with people, you get the feeling that no one is safe. And uh, one oh, thing... Yeah. Hmm? yeah, definitely. You get the sense that he's just... I think you the, the tiger analogy there was pretty, pretty apt because there's... You can tell just any moment you know, the, the the lid could pop off and hands could just get thrown. <laughs> and when those hands get thrown, buildings collapse. Yeah, Chicago gets destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago gets destroyed with a backhand. It's amazing. Um, yeah. I think we want. I want to talk a little bit about the cast just before we go any further. Um, oh, yeah. Just from the list. We talked about this being a stacked cast, and I'm, I'm underselling here. I've cherry-picked a few people you might recognise. 
Stephen Yun from The Walking Dead, Sandra Oh from Grey's Anatomy, Walton Goggins from The Shield, Gillian Jacobs from Community, Jason Montezoukas from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Justin Roiland from Rick and Morty, Clancy Brown from Starship Troopers. Justin Roiland was basically more, uh, Rick again. He was the teenage or the college guy uh, from like oh, episode yeah, yeah, six. Yeah. yeah, the one who was burping and drunk all the time. Real stretch from uh, Rick, you know, from Rick and Morty. <laughs> Clancy Brown from Starship Troopers. Motherfucking Mark Hamill uh, from the untitled yep. The Machine movie. That's what he's famous for. Uh, yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> Forgot about that. Uh, Fred, I'm going to mess this name up. Fred Tatasciuri. Fred Tatasciuri. Tatasciuri, that'll do. I'll, I'll edit my one in. <laughs> Who, by the way, has 811 acting credits on IMDb. And it's basically your childhood. You don't know it yet, but he's basically been in everything in your childhood. Yeah, they do every time they need a big monster. If they need a Hulk, a Solomon Grundy, they need a big, dumb, stupid monster voice, it's Fred Tattershaw. Uh You also have Kerry Payton, Laura, uh, Lauren Cohen, Lenny James and Chad L. Coleman, all from The Walking Dead, uh, some of the earlier seasons. Uh, giving mm-hmm. that, you know, this is uh, Kirkland's other baby, it makes sense for them to show up, because apparently The Walking Dead cast are quite tight. Um, so they would yep. naturally kind of build it, bring each other onto the projects. Uh, Michael Dorn from Star Trek, and introducing yeah. Seth Rogen as Seth Rogen in an alien costume. Yeah, and <laughs> Dude, Alan, can we just appreciate Alan for a second? Alan the alien is probably one of the best characters. It's in, such in a Vincent. dumb fucking character, but it kind of works. <laughs> At one point, him and uh, Invincible are you know beating the crap at each other, and just goes, "Oh look, you were learning." He just like, drops this random line. I know it's more the fact that hey, hey, wait, timeout. And he goes, or you, you know, he says, hey, wait, hold up a minute. And he says, or you using one of your timeouts? <laughs> and he, it's just the confusion between those two characters is just fantastic. But for all those, he names, becomes a bigger character later on. So hopefully, in season two and three, we'll get more, more Alan. I don't like Seth Rogen, but okay. Um, but yeah, I like Seth Rogen. I think he's, I think he's great. I have but, named yeah. all those people to give you some sense as to how well cast this thing is. There's, I'm pretty sure if you listen to this podcast, you must have heard or seen these people in some role. And yet I'm going to say, none of them compare to J.K. Simmons. There is a yeah, lot of talent in this show. But J.K. Simmons is carrying the entire fucking thing. He yeah. is so fucking amazing as Omni-Man. As both Omni-Man and Mr. Grayson. He is just yeah. being these two characters at the same time. And he is gradually slipping between both uh, through various scenes, and you can see him be both characters at the same time. And he's just fan fucking tastic, and it is all delivered through sheer menace in his voice. Mm. I absolutely. There's there's a there's a point in the later episodes where he's just having a conversation with someone, and you can tell that uh, just by the slight. It's, it's not even that he lowers his voice or anything like that. He just, he says something. And the way his voice changes slightly, he doesn't deepen his voice. He doesn't, you know, put a growl in there and make it sound sinister. He just changes the way he speaks slightly, and it is menacing as fuck. You know, from that one sentence that he is not fucking around. It's just little things like the change in pace and line delivery, like those little things, these little considerations where you can see he's slowing down, or he's speeding up because he's angry, or he's slowing to just kind of take in a moment and just think about everything he wants to say, what he wants to reveal to other characters so that what they reveal tells him more than what he tells them. It's yeah. fucking amazing. And uh, I, I had a real blast just watching him go through each scene. 
And I think what I enjoy most about it, and I think we should just give the spoiler for episode one right now. Yeah, absolutely. Is that a lot of this is based on uh, Mark, the young hero, learning how to be Superman from Superman himself, which is an interesting dynamic. It's not one you get to see a lot uh, in these like coming-of-age stories. It's normal about finding your own path away from... Uh, what your father and so like what your father did before you, having them mm. sit down and do the basics like kind of basic training boot camp for how to be Superman is quite fun, um, and then towards the end of episode one, we have the assembly of the Guardians of the uh, the Globe, which mm-hmm. is legally distinct from the Justice League. So all we yeah. really need to say, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, the the line is real thin. <laughs> yeah. It was like- when you're watching the boys and it's a, here we have the seven, like, the seven <laughs> legally distinct from the justice league yeah I, i'd say it's even worse in this show just because yeah. they are like there's even like just the carryovers from like wonder woman to war woman and uh, yeah. aquarius mm-hmm. as opposed to aquaman i'm like jesus christ guys what are we? red rush as opposed to the flash <laughs> i'm pretty sure instead of martian manhunter it's just martian hunter no it's just martian man yeah martian they man. just he dropped did. hunter off the end <laughs> And oh, oh, there's a instead of Batman, you have Darkwing. Darkwing is the most impressive as far as like an actual. Oh, I suppose the Immortal might be. I don't know if the Immortal has an analogy in DC, but technically, can... I mean, there's a character like the Immortal in DC, but he's a villain. So I always kind of took it as this is their uh, Shazam, I suppose, but without the powers. Uh, actually, not far off it. Although the costume is a bit more close to like Black Adam. Uh, but yeah, I see where you're going for with that one, and but like as a like this is the global guardians or whatever the guardians of the globe, <laughs> and don't mistake them for anything else, please. How did Robert yeah. Kirkland get that pass legal? Seriously, I, I'm impressed. I'm almost impressed. I think he he wrote The Walking Dead, and The Walking Dead was such a success that he just kind of slid it in there, and they were just yeah, sure. The boys already did it. We're fine. Everybody cool. Everybody cool. Okay, we're cool. And uh, the, the cool thing about the the uh, the immortal is the fact that he's Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> okay, I, yeah. I I remember like there being the, the flashbacks for him in later scenes, um, and they yeah. explained that he was like a crusader knight and stuff like that. But I didn't. I must have like blinked and missed Abraham Lincoln. Uh, shout out. Yeah, there's a point where he's sitting watching like, like Abraham Lincoln died. He's sitting watching a <laughs> watching a play, and the guy appears behind him with a gun. <laughs> it does explain the button chops. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, but the uh, he uh, the the guardians of the globe are all summoned together and. Mm-hmm. They're all trying to figure out what they're being summoned for, who summoned them there, because they assume it's each other. And then out of nowhere, Omni-Man appears and murders them. It's not a fight. It's a fucking murder. Yeah. <laughs> it's a murder well, that you, takes longer than 30 seconds. You do get one of my favourite scenes in the in the entire thing where uh, the immortal is looking at uh, Red Rush and Red Rush just speeds towards him and shoves him out of the way. And you see Omni-Man just boost into the middle of the room and then everyone just kind of goes the fuck is going on here then hell breaks loose yeah and you get to see a very gruesome not quite grey but is a very kind of measured approach to how does Superman kill the Justice League I mean Omni-Man killed the Guardians of the Globe um, in as quick a time as possible using just raw strength no laser powers no nothing no fancy tricks how does he put his fist through the Green Ghost's skull you know <laughs> how does that work out how does he make that happen and it is a fe- it is a feast and it is it's going to catch you off guard if you've not watched the show already you really should have but 
if you were not prepared for it, if you did not see it coming, you haven't had it spoiled for you by now, it's probably going to catch you off guard quite a bit. I found it very, um, very savage. I, I, I liked it. It was great. But I, I, I was not prepared for how uh, intense it was going to be. And it does a good job of setting the tone for a bunch of the fights that come up later on. Because as much as the most of these superhero things seem to be quite one-sided affairs, when it comes to how do superhumans trade blows, this show does a fantastic job of showing just the raw carnage that takes place. When you yeah. have people capable of like smashing buildings, hitting each other. Yeah, because there's the really, really there's the cool part where uh, Red Rush is fighting Omni Man, and you just see him like the first couple of hits don't even do anything. He just starts going faster and faster, hitting him in the chest, and obviously like, blood starts showing up. Then you just see Red Rush's hands getting mangled because he's basically yeah. just trying to fight a brick wall at this point. I, I caught that as well. That the hands, I was like, hey, the hands aren't bent. Oh, the hands aren't bending the right. Oh fuck, they are not bending the right way. Oh no. <laughs> oh buddy, <laughs> put those hands down. <laughs> what was the other one? Oh, because there was a few. I I really liked. Uh, him punching through Green Ghost, like him just waiting for her to phase into reality and then just saying, okay, punch time. <laughs> I thought that was quite effective. Um, the fact that he knew just how to beat every single one of them as well, that was the... Yeah, decapitating immortal was a nice one. Uh, does he not just... I think he just puts his... He just crushes Aquarius's skull. Yeah, and he, he ragdolls Darkwing because obviously Darkwing is the Batman allegory, he doesn't have any power. But it's the bit with uh, Martian... Martian Hunter or Martian Man, whatever it is, yeah. he just sees the little brain orb thing floating about him as he's, you know, contracting them and just rips that out. Yeah. It's it's a very um, primal scene. Like, there's nothing... You expect there to be, like, big uh, like moves or, like, set-up techniques and all that, and it, it just comes down to Superman wants you to die, and he's going to do it using just his fists. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we you'll see a lot more of that level of angry Superman. Uh, in the future um, and we're, we're going to leave the discussion of like details of specific stuff um, after like this episode just because we want you to see this again um, mm. and just enjoy it for what it is because I think a lot of the show comes down to the mystery of the main question that's being asked by the Guardians of the Globe as they're being murdered it's just them saying why are you doing this Yeah, and it's a, it's, it's a key question I think as to what, what is going on what is making Omni Man do this, and how does how do people deal with the fact that Superman has just wiped the floor with the people who who were supposed to be his friends? Yeah, and that is because they naturally go to he's being controlled by something. We need to stop him. Then there's the realization that he's not stopping. Mm. How how do we <laughs> like how do we keep ourselves alive? And then yeah. they they kind of get the the one up one up one up on him for a little bit. Then. The, the gloves for Omni-Man slip off and he just goes hell-bent for leather on them. Yeah. And uh, I'd say a lot of this is actually figuring out what actually happened that day because there, there isn't any footage of what happened from uh, the Guardians of the Globe uh, or from them. Uh, there's no understanding. It just all of a sudden, one day, uh, people find out the Guardians of the Globe have basically been wiped out and the only survivor is a very battered and bruised Superman. And the show continues on from there with different characters investigating what happened, uh, different mm. characters hiding from what happened, and other yeah. people just trying to pretend it didn't happen, which I thought was interesting. And you know, how does Earth... I, I don't know if you got this this sense from uh, Invincible, but did you get the sense that Cecil knew from the get-go, just didn't want to, or didn't want to face it, or didn't know how to? I think he might have suspected it. 
Yeah. Uh, Cecil, by the way, is the head of a basically kind of the government organization that handles and manages superheroes, and uh, he plays a very key role. Uh, that's Walton Goggins' character, who is fantastic in this, by the way. Um, I, 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 you start initially quite distrusting of him because he is a government official in a superhero uh, franchise, and then all of a sudden, you realize that he maybe not he maybe wasn't the good guy all along, but he was doing his best, and you kind of give him a little kind of nod of respect for that towards the end. And I, I find him very interesting as a character because it's very rare. I mean, we talk about um, like monster movies and how much it must suck to be the the bureaucrat fell in the paperwork to explain why a building was destroyed by Godzilla. And I think we both enjoyed that about Shin Godzilla, where you do have people stuck in the system trying to fight impossible odds. And I feel like yeah. Cecil is that character in the show. And he's very interesting. And I think he may have suspected it, but didn't want to say it out loud for the first couple of episodes that Omni-Man is the one responsible for the death of the Guardians of the Globe. Because we see it, but no other characters in the show do. Which is great. I think it's the, the key thing in the show is that it's very tense and it's because you know what happened, other characters don't, and other characters finding out and it rocking their worldview of uh like you know, just Omni Man or just Papa Grayson. You know, how do you explain the fact that your dad destroyed your heroes? Personally, yeah. you know? And I think having a character like Cecil there to kind of manage it all and uh, react and try and organize the chaos that follows is a really interesting play. I quite like that as a as a, a character moment. Although, did you notice that his assistant looked like a character from King of the Hill? Yeah, he did look a bit like a was it Hank Hill grown up. He just he just looked wrong. Like he doesn't look like any other character in the show. I don't know what it is. I just there's something about him. I don't know. Maybe it's because he's the only one you don't see his eyes. I think he's just meant to be the. The kind of the grim tongue character that just the the toady the lackey just goes along with whatever he's told to do that kind of thing. Yeah, still pretty decent though. Um, I, I think one of the things is that most of the characters in the show have uh, they have a very clear established uh, stereotype or an archetype of a character, mm. and then they also have a little tw- not quite a massive like twist like a they have like oh they're like Aquaman but he's afraid of water or something like that. It's, it's something a lot more a bit more subtle than that. That just gives them a little bit of a hook that you can kind of latch onto and say, okay, I want to see how this character deals with this. Like uh, many, like the, I'd say, uh, Atom Eve, uh, played by Jillian Jacobs, who, for some reason, every time I heard her say her name, I assumed it was Adam Jillian Eve. Or, I thought you were talking about the actress, because I've watched a couple of interviews based on the show right now, and it's she's always introduced as Gillian Jacobs. Jilly, the literal asshole. Yeah, Atom Eve is what our superhero name is. Yeah, I heard it as Adam Eve for some reason every time. I don't know, maybe I just wasn't listening to it. But yeah, Adam Eve uh, comes from a, 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 not quite a bad farmer, but they, in way, they kind of love her in the wrong way and they want to overprotect her because uh, the father is terrified of losing his daughter in, you know, understandable circumstances given that she's, uh, you know, She's a superhero that's out fighting uh, alien invasions. You know, there's a good chance a stray bullet catches her and then your daughter isn't coming home. Uh, but he, yeah. there's always that underlying layer of kind of misogyny on, like, her father's part. And you see how it affects her. And then how do you deal with the fact that you can, um, you know, you can rearrange the universe on an atomic level. But you can't make your father stop yelling at you to get back in the house and be a good little girl. That's that type of hook that I'm interested in. 
And there's a lot of these littered throughout the uh, throughout the world. Uh, Try to think of any other characters that I bring up. I mean, there was one character that I actively rooted against, and that was a uh, the was a character later on. That, in fact, no, that's, that's spoilers. But uh, if you've watched, if you go and if you've looked at the voice cast, there's a character played by Ezra Miller that I was actively wanting to get his head kicked in. Yep, I know exactly the character you mean, and he is well acted. But at the same time, you're gonna hate every every moment he's on screen, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a testament to a good acting job that you know, not that familiar with Ezra Miller, but he seems all right, and yet he can play a complete dickbag. Mm. So yeah, you you'll see him when he pops up because this is uh, with it being an Amazon series, they have built in all the IMDb like trivia stuff, so I I had to stop myself from like pausing the show to go and just check stuff and. I mean, when you have a, a, a cast list this big, I had one screen up with uh, with the, the show itself, and I just had another one with a Google Chrome window just going through the IMDb page and just checking out who every character was, just because I was fascinated by, you know, who was playing who and you know, who was giving what performance. And they also have all the trivia about, like, uh, the movie, or the, the audio that's getting played. Uh, I actually text you to say that I'm a big fan of the use of uh, Run the Jewels in the, in the soundtrack for the show. Yeah, specifically for the the Mauler twins, the, yeah. the giant blue super genius twins. That uh, whenever they show up, it's uh, run the jokes playing in the background. That's um, pretty cool. I cast... can imagine that the guy who voices the Mauler twins, uh, Kevin Michael Richardson. I can imagine him suggesting that. Like every time my character's on screen, I want those guys <laughs> to be backing them. Yeah. Give me a soundtrack. And uh, I I never actually mentioned the Mauler twins. I mean that's that's such a huge part of the show is uh, a pair of clone twins each one believes that they're the original uh, both voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson and I can't believe I didn't mention him he's probably one of my favourite voice actors working right now and uh, giving just a great performance <laughs> just I say there's a lot of talent on display here and they're all doing a damn good job mm. and uh, yeah I, I highly recommend the show to anyone who doesn't hasn't picked up on that one yet we've been very subtle about it so, any uh, closing observations on Invincible? Watch it, buy the comics, support it, and and, and I really, I really mean the, the the support it part because Amazon, while well, they bring great uh, comic book shows to life on Amazon Prime, they have a bad habit of dropping it at the first sign of low ratings. Because uh, anyone who grew up in the nineties probably watched a cartoon on Fox Kids called The Tick. And the tick was, you know, probably the funniest superhero on on TV at that time. He had nine vulnerability, uh, nine vulnerability, and you know, was just this big, loud, bombastic supervillain, uh, supervillain superhero. Uh, there was always attempts to make it uh, turn it a live action show, so they they did the first iteration, I think, on uh, I want to say on Adult Swim, but it probably wasn't Adult Swim. But we'll say for argument's sake, it was. He did a live action version potential on Adult Swim, and it was Patrick Warburton that played the tick. It was alright, it didn't really do too well, but then it eventually came to Amazon Prime, they had Peter Sarafanowitz from uh, Shaun of the Dead play the tick, and it was a really good show, and it only lasted two seasons, three seasons, before Amazon just dropped it, saying unfortunately, we're, we're cancelling this show, giving no real reason as to why. So that has got me terrified for future seasons of uh, Invincible, because we're guaranteed seasons 2 and 3, but there's 140, 144 issues of Invincible. The good thing is it's a complete uh, run. Yeah. They've finished 
the invincible story ends you know, surprisingly happy ending for a, a a comic which is rare to see nowadays but uh, do you know roughly how far there's a lot of source material so do you know roughly how far the series has gone into the source material just so we get 11 a issues 11 issues for 8 episodes okay that's 130 but episodes <laughs> Maybe not even 11 issues. I think we might have gone eight issues. Oh, okay. Um, that is a bit worrying. I mean, they're obviously padding stuff out and there's a lot of stuff to like establish and get going in the first couple of episodes, but that's uh, not a great conversion rate. I'm not going to lie. I have some, I mean, I'm hoping we get as far as we possibly can with this because it's an enjoyable world. The animation's good. Uh, later on, fight scenes are just absolutely fucking mental. Um, but yeah, I mean... I'm interested in characters in the show. That's kind of impressive, given that you know we all are pretty much done with superheroes, allegedly. Um, just mm. to have a new set come in and just go, okay, you have my attention. Please go on. You know, I, I'm impressed by that. So, yeah, I'm hoping that we get a bit more of this. Hopefully, seasons two and three do a lot of you know, make a lot of headway. Yeah. Well, there's 117 issues as I'm finding out just now, but uh, I think yeah, I, I want to say that the the big finishing scene happens maybe 11 issues 11 or 12 issues in so at least there are 10 issues through the source material but they have moved things around they've brought certain things forward and changed it up a little bit but i think relatively they are sticking quite close to the uh the source material that's good so uh for today's showstopper i have a tale we've gone from uh, tales of intrigue and uh like <laughs> complicated plots to just just disgusting uh decadence i guess um so from so originally is from uh, business insider and it is a translation of a story from the jakarta globe and um basically it was about uh, the fact that a, a a teenager in bali or bali i guess however you want to pronounce it was caught in a field uh, one morning, having sex with a cow. Now, obviously, that is a complete fucking shit show and a bit of a mess, and not what anyone expected to find first thing on a uh, Friday morning. However, uh, this was followed up by probably the weirdest solution to that, because, you know, in most places, the solution is throw that guy in a fucking jail and let the, uh, let the criminals sort him out. The circumstances in Bali, however, is a bit different because uh, this man uh, named, and I'm going to get this wrong, Nagura Alit, who was 18 at the time, uh, unemployed youth uh, from the area of Ye Mbang uh, in Jimbrana, was caught basically standing naked behind a cow. This was seen as uh, not only just horrific criminal activity, but was also seen as bringing in uh, evil demons into the town. Which, you know, understandable. Uh, clearly no sane person would do this. So someone that may have uh, invoked the devil to make this happen. Um, he basically said that, yes, he did commit the act. But he believed the cow was a beautiful young woman who'd wooed him with flattering compliments. Which is an interesting take on why you fucked a cow. So, uh, in response to this, the town decided that they had to cleanse the village of the unholy act... And forced the man to marry the animal uh, in a wedding ceremony. His mm. mother, during this wedding ceremony, collapsed because her son is marrying a fucking cow. And then, uh, as part of the ritual, to finish cleansing the, the evil spirits out of the village, 
They then drowned the cow. I don't know which part of the ceremony I find weirder. The fact you're marrying the cow or then just throwing it into the river to drown it. And I was like, this is just unreal. And then it comes up at the end. They also then had a ritualistic drowning of the man. So they kind of rebaptized them, I guess, to help cleanse the evil spirits out of his body. I'm like, this whole thing is just terrifying for me. I, I can't... <laughs> I I was left stunned just to think that one day you wake up and you're like, and bang that cow. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're married to the cow. Then you're forced to watch it be drowned to cleanse the evil spirits before you yourself are then dunked underwater in a ritualistic drowning. But they obviously don't say that. They, they say that he was then recovered. So I'm guessing it's kind of like that bit in Game of Thrones where they, they have the, the ritual of the drowned. Where they hold you under the water until you pass out then you bring you back. Mm. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that story popped up a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, this is the showstopper. This is the, the showstopper that I will throw on here at the end of the episode. Because I... I am just stunned at that. It is impressive. It is an impressive level of what the fuck. That's uh, fucking hell. <laughs> it's it's a curious culture. I'm not going to lie, it's the marriage part that's catching me off guard. <laughs> I, I want to know why the marriage makes it better. I, like, okay, the man had sex with the cow. We're going to drown the cow. No, wait. First, we have to marry the man to the cow. Otherwise, it doesn't work. <laughs> teach him a lesson. <laughs> we get to teach him a lesson. <laughs> they, they, they let him, like, take the cow out to, like, dinner and stuff like that to really form a bond beyond the just horrific sex act. <laughs> they just fucking drown the cow. <laughs> Make him watch. <laughs> I, I Yeah, that is why we call it a showstopper, ladies and gentlemen, if you're left in that stunned same uh, position I am right now. If you want to reach out to the podcast, you can do so on Twitter at Jibber. Someone's real wife. <laughs> this is this is the the sign of a good showstopper when you're just stuck there thinking you just can't help yourself. You just have to be like, but I have another question. <laughs> I mean, I, I get the feeling at some point we could go f- back far enough, and we could find someone being convicted of like adultery or something like that. And the response is, I guess we just fucking drown them. <laughs> Teach my lesson. <laughs> we'll show you. <laughs> Jesus. Well, if you have any idea of who we should drown next, you can reach out to the podcast at Jibberfish on Twitter, or you can email us at jibberfishpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach out to me at Aaron Lord Mad, or you can reach out to Dom at Dom Anderson 25. I think there's an underscore in there somewhere, but you'll find it Is on. It? I think so. Dom uh, underscore Anderson 25. There we go. In the meantime, I've been calling Graham. I've been Tom Anderson. And we've been talking gibberfish. <laughs>